and welcome to the 13th episode of the Sports Map Podcast, where we are talking all things sports medicine, physiotherapy, rehabilitation, and return to performance. I'm your host, Nick Kane. Now, in today's episode, we will be talking athletic lower back pain with the specialist sports physiotherapist from Perth, uh, physiotherapist from the West Coast Eagles in the AFL in Chris Perkins. But before we jump into today's chat, we encourage you to head over to our website, sportsmap.com.au and check out our latest masterclass videos available featuring Steve Saunders talking on athletic groin pain and the world-renowned specialist Jordan Menaguchia on hamstring rehabilitation, which has been extremely popular. We also have one coming up soon uh, with an Australian-based physio talking uh, around ACL injuries and rehabilitation. We also have our foot and ankle masterclass coming up in early Melbourne, all things going well. Uh, but this course is also available on uh, virtual access where you'll get full access via videos t- from two weeks after the event. This is featuring Jill Cook, Sue May, Simon Bartold, Stuart Imer, Ben Ray Smith from the previously the RIS and now Athletics Australia and Jeffrey Timms, who's a well-renowned surgeon, foot and ankle surgeon in Melbourne. So some really great content coming out there. We encourage you to head over and have a look uh, and see what we have coming up. So today's guest, Chris Perkins, he's a specialist sports physiotherapist out of Perth and he leads a team, he's the director at the West Coast Health High Performance uh, and he has over 20 years experience in the field of sports physiotherapy. He's worked with the West Coast Eagles, which is in the AFL for our international listeners for over 15 years where he's been involved in two premierships and four grand finals. They've been hugely successful over this period. Uh, He's certainly an expert in the field of sports injuries and ongoing pain-related problems. Uh, He's worked extensively in both business and and within the clinic with the world-renowned expert uh, Peter Sullivan in back pain. And I guess bringing Chris's knowledge of both his sports background and, and having worked so closely with Peter and his team over the years, it's a fantastic topic to chat to Chris around athletic back pain and, and bringing those two fields together. And, and that's what we'll be doing today. All righty. Oh, welcome, Chris. Hey, Nick. How are you? Mate, very good and fantastic to have you uh, on board our uh, 13th episode of the Sports Map Podcast. Um, now, for all our listeners out there, why don't you let them know a little bit about yourself and your background in, in both sports physio and, and just a little bit about your lifestyle? Yeah, okay, Nick. Well, look, yeah, thanks for having us on, first of all. Um, pleasure to be on chatting with you. And look, I guess me, um, I'm a dad of two awesome kids. That's uh, that's my first probably role. Um Physio-wise, I have probably feel a bit ancient now. I've probably um, been doing physio for about 25 years now, combining sports physio right from graduating. Um, early days when I worked in a more of a sports-orientated clinic with basketball, we and the Wildcats, the local team in Perth, and the um, Australian hockey side, sort of fairly quickly involved with sporting teams there from the start. And then I guess uh, I went and did my post-grad in sports physio, sorry, 1999, I think it was, and met... Peter O'Sullivan, who was our mentor at the time with the postgrad, and then you know took a gig on with um, with Pete, and we grew a practice and built into what we call Body Logic Physio. From my journey there, we uh, we grew that business over time to a few practices. Um, went and did my specialisation training, which was a pretty rewarding experience. Um, probably back then it wasn't um, as tough to get through, but at the same time it was very much about problem-solving approach with the patient in front of you and clinical reasoning, uh, putting yourself out there um, to be, you know, trained up by your mentors, to be understanding how you can improve yourself from, you know, the patient in front of you. 
making it really a more clinical based sort of concept. And then I guess, you know, over that time I've probably been then moved along to physio with the um, West Coast Eagles and, and I guess I'm coming up to about sort of 18 years now but very part-time uh, with those guys. And now I guess I'm at a point where I'm juggling um, a new practice linked with the West Coast Eagles and sort of a high-performance centre focused on sports medicine and sports management and performance. And so now that's called West Coast Health and High Performance linked with the footy club and uh, really looking forward to getting that going as a part of our new journey um, with the great team we've got there. Wanted to sort of touch on a little bit about the, that balance between, uh, you know, what you're doing now, which is running a performance centre, an elite high performance centre and, and physio centre there in Perth, but also how that really fits with working professional sport at the West Coast Eagles. I guess what are the most rewarding aspects you're getting from working in the sport uh, and, and also the challenges and then how hard is it? to sort of try and build a business and a clinic outside of that demand that uh, comes with elite sport? Well, firstly, I'm, I guess I'm pretty lucky in a way that I've got that um, that ability to combine those two things, your, your high performance centre linked with the footy club. I mean, at the moment, it's a little bit different with the hubs that we're in. So being part-time, I'm sort of more now focused at the clinic, helping look after the, um, the Eagles boys that are left behind in rehab um, who are out of the hub currently. But... Um, yeah, the, the concept of the of the practice was um, was to combine a performance centre where they do all their high end testing instead of going off site to do you know VO two max testing, biodex testing, DEXA scan, um, things like that that you may not have on site at sort of professional sporting clubs and all, not all footy clubs have got all those things. Then we we have that at the clinic, so we've actually got a you know ECU as a big part of that too, which is a one of the local unis that. Um, uh, we'll be collecting research and running research through there. So we've got one of the PhD students um, for the Eagles and ECU combining his sort of study with the equipment and also the, the testing on the Eagles guys to look at, you know, longer-term injury risk and how we prevent injury in AFL and therefore in elite sport. But, yeah, the, the difficulty at the moment, I guess, is um, it's, been a, it's been a different year for everyone, <laughs> as you guys know. Um, and so... The uh, anyone starting up a new business practice um, has all those challenges, but I guess in one way um, we've an opportunity now to to build on something here that is quite unique and um, you know, work towards the seasons ahead. So the way we combine what we've got there is trying to provide a, a community feel for something uh, for patients and athletes that aren't necessarily elite athletes, but actually be managed by like an elite athlete. You know the outcomes. And the assessment tools we've got at this performance centre, you know, everyone can use. So patients, we see they want they want numbers. They like, you know, assessment sort of measures and and how we can improve on that and reassessment tools. So ultimately, that's what this this performance centre gives us that um, reassessment tools to show progress in different ways, whether it be the force platforms, the the um, O2 max testing, you know, the the body comp and you know, muscle size measurements dynamometry measurements, um, those sort of things to to get an idea of, okay, how, how are we progressing as well as using our clinical judgment skills in that area. Um, the, juggle, the juggle for me, I guess, would be the um, getting, getting the uh, average sports person to, to, to understand that, yeah, this is something that 
everyone can benefit from. We might uh, start to jump into a little bit of clinical side of things and we thought we'd bring together a little bit of your skill set in both how you mentioned having such a, a background in lower back pain uh, and working with one of the world-renowned experts in Peter O'Sullivan and your background then in both football and athletics, which we didn't really touch on. You've done a lot of work in athletics with pole vaulters uh, mainly and a number of other sports. So we might sort of work through that and I'll give you a little bit of a case and then we might just work through how you might manage that and we can touch on some experiences through with those athletics athletes and footballs along the way. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds good. The combination of football and pole vaulter. Good idea. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a difficult one, but we'll just go back and forth on that a little bit. But to start off, let's say that we've got a 22-year-old male athlete with lower back pain, and we'll work off a little bit of that footballer and also the pole vaulter. So the athlete presents to you with a three-week history of increasing lower back pain in the lower lumbar spine area, both sides, but right greater than left. He's had this type of thing on and off over the last five years, yet this is tends to be getting worse now. He's just completed a big block of training, say, let's just say midway through pre-season. Aggravating factors include longer distance running, sleeping on his stomach, prolonged sitting, back squatting more often than not, uh, some pain medications and anti-inflammatories, rest, massage, and some trigger ball work tend to sort of ease it a little bit. Uh, he generally wakes in the morning feeling okay, but you know, not as stiff, but tends to still be a little bit sore with extension in the morning. Uh, he's sore post-exercises and gym sessions and often feels just stiffness and, and a deep ache in the lower back, no pins and needles or uh, leg-related pain and no other major injuries, although the footballer has a bit of a past history of groin pain in his late teens. So a bit of a history there, but what are some subjective questions you would follow up on the above information for further clarification? Yeah, well, I guess you're always trying to search for a pattern. As someone walks through the door and you're subjectively interviewing them, you're always trying to hunt a pattern down because that helps the management process click into place a lot easier. Um, yeah, what you're presenting with that those few questions there, you know, it makes me sort of fairly quickly think extension-based sort of pattern, you know, the extension pain of lying on your stomach, um, prolonged sitting not so much, but they may sit in extension, so you need to look at that. Um you know, but the prolonged running, sleeping on stomach, you know, standing for long periods, those sort of aspects are more of an extended spine. Um, I guess, you know, they're, they respond to anti-inflammatories you mentioned. Um, so have they got inflammatory markers? That's a key one we often miss with, um, with patients that uh, they may have an underlying systemic inflammatory disorder. So, you know, have, if you respond well to anti-inflammatories, obviously there's an inflammatory process. So going through that sort of questioning on have they had a history of tendon, tendinopathies, um, your know, aches and pains in sort of the peripheral joints, um, and has that responded to anti-inflammatories in the past? Have they had blood tests to look at those inflammatory markers in the past? Might be a question as well. Um, yeah, in regards to uh, ongoing back pain that they've had, you know, what have they done in the past that's actually eased that? You know, they've obviously had this history before probably, so always getting the easing factors for these for these patients. And, and, you know, often, more often than not, we've talked about an extension pattern or bracing sort of pattern there with that patient by the sound of it. You know, do they, do they feel better when they relax and bend and flop over and move? You know, if you've got a patient like that that is running and they get painful, does it actually feel better when they bend and hang? Um, and if so, that helps you then understand a little bit about what's going on, you know, opening up those joints makes makes life easier for them. So that, that helps you sort of push them down into a pathway of, yeah, this, this is, has a pattern. Arching or extension hurts it, relaxing and flexion eases it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think once you've got that pattern, you sort of start interviewing them um, reflect, reflectively and making them think, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense, that fits with me. So they have a buy-in to, um, 
to their sort of planning ahead. But yeah, you, you, what you've presented there is really a localized lumbar back pain, um, and it makes me think straight away compression loading, stress on the facet joints. They uh, can ease it up with unlocking, but why is it not settling down long term? You know, what's different about them? And that's where you hunt further into the objective examination. Um, so yeah, I think for me, uh, easing factors, as we said. The big changes of having training load, as we know with any sport, any injury, the changes in training load are the big factors. So what are they? You know, a big training block was what caused this. It's probably what started the flare-up. So then we've got to look at, you know, other big factors, and they're the big issues we're seeing in sport at the moment, big changes of lifestyle factors, you know, wellness factors like that, stress, worry, all those issues that come into sensitising our nervous system. So they're all a sort of combination of things you need to look at, but I guess training load, wellness factors, then hunting for that ag and ease factors, they're your key things uh, that we're hunting for that help you set up the objective examination. Beautiful. So with your objective, um, what sort of key things you are you looking at? Uh, from And from your experience with this type of presentation, uh, what are some common findings that you might often see? Yeah, well, you're presenting a pattern of, of bracing or arching extension type pain with that. So... Um, you know, looking, looking at them in a standing position, obviously shirt off so you can see their muscle tone, um, demonstrating to that patient in the mirror, you know, always making them aware of, of educating them as you're, as you're assessing them. So I'll always make, make sure I'm, I'm showing the patient how they look, showing them on a skeleton what we think is going on, so assessing their lordosis, their anterior tilt position. Uh, often these patients are holding and bracing in their upper abdominal wall. Um, we know, you know, how important the concept of um, of being more relaxed sometimes and allowing movement, whereas our history of the old core stability and bracing and tensing and holding tension has been a big, big factor in, in Pilates and physio management in the past. It's almost like we've overdone that and, and at times with patients now, a lot of these footballers and, and athletes are, are just holding on too strong. So they actually don't know how to let go of their system. So actually teaching the patient and, and once it's, I've seen that they're holding too much, how do they actually let go? That's part of the management plan. But to, before you do that, showing them actually that they are holding, that they are holding their breath or they are bracing. So high muscle tone, the rectus spinae, you know, tight hip flexor muscles generally bring you into your lordosis position. So that's going to compress your facet joints more so. Um, you know, do they actually hold extension in sitting um, too excessively? We know how you sit predicts the way you squat a little bit. So, in fact, looking at their you know, squat positioning, that was obviously picked up in the subjective exam. So that's really important to look at their squat with load and without load and make sure they can dissociate their pelvis and their lumbar spine in that position. So can they do it with, that, with weight? Can they do it without weight? Can they do it with their heels up on blocks um, to take away any you know, limitation in movement, the lower limb and the ankles? Um you know, how much hip range of movement do they have to allow them to get into a deep squat position? And I guess, um, you know, how strong are they in their other muscle groups? How strong are their hip extensors and their lateral hip rotators to allow them to get into a good, strong position and not overuse the back muscles every time they move and lift? And I think that's a big, big problem is that we're often not letting go of the back and that's, you know, that's doing too much of the work when we do lift. And so, you know, they're, they're things that, yeah, as a nutshell, I'd look at objectively. Hopefully, that's given a bit of a um, 
an idea of um, of things I'll, I'll look at briefly with this type of athlete. Thank you to Kangatech for the support of this podcast. For those who don't know, Kangatech is an Australian sports technology company originally born out of the North Melbourne Football Club in the AFL. Since releasing its second generation technology in mid-2019, the company has seen significant growth with their technology now used by some of the world's highest profile sporting teams across many codes such as the NFL, NBA, NHL, NCAA, EPL and of course the AFL. The KT360 testing and training platform consists of a portable, adaptable, fixed-frame dynamometry system that allows for accurate and reliable measurements of isolated neuromuscular strength, endurance, and control. The advanced software analytics allows sport-specific profiling to understand both injury risk and guide appropriate interventions. Accompanying the KT360 software platform consists of both the testing and training modules so the athletes can work on training stimulus such as a control, strength, hypertrophy, endurance, pain modulation, and also time and attention. Further information on Kangatech, head over to their website at kangatech.com, that's K-A-N-G-A-T-E-C-H, or you can email them at how at kangatech.com. But you won, say, in that first initial consult or the follow-up consult, do you often do any, like, key objective numbers where you might, whether it's hand handheld or some type of uh, trunk test, is there anything like you do like that or are you purely just going off, say, your clinical eye and uh, education and then moving on? No, definitely. I think everyone loves numbers. I mean, to get an objective measure of things moving forward, sometimes it's very difficult to give with, you know, some of the motor control things, but I'll always use a handheld dynamometer. Um, they're great um, to give patient, patients number. Not always functional uh, measures, but I'll generally always measure some form of glute strength with hip abduction, hip extension, hip external rotation at a 90-90, hip position with knee flexed at 90, um, and then you know looking at how they move from a repetition point of view, the endurance of their kinetic chain. I'll generally look at repeated calf raiser work um, you know, how, how strong is that gastro? How strong can they do a bent leg calf raise with load, um, left versus right? So getting a sort of a number left versus right to look at the asymmetries. Um, obviously, this patient we're talking about seems to be a bit more sort of, um, you know, bilateral back pain, so maybe it doesn't apply as much. Um, can they actually turn their glute max on in a, in a range position with a lordosis that's tucked under into a more flatter position? And that's not as objective to measure. Um, but that again, combining definitely numbers with some of the um, observation and motor control factors um, for sure. And, and using video, always use a patient's phone to show them how they're moving and therefore, you know, they can buy into the things that they need to work on. They can see, if they can see part of the problem, it's a much easier buy-in to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'll, um, I'll now work on that. And, and re-measuring that down the track is, is what we're about, the show change. And oh, so we can't really talk about um, back pain without sometimes talking about the controversies around imaging. And, um, you know, with this athlete or, or patient, would you image it when or why not? Uh, and maybe bring in, um, I guess, some of those negative effects that can occur with imaging um, as well. Yeah, look, I, I guess one of the things here is that, you know, <laughs> in, a, in a lot of elite sports, we have the luxury in a way to image most things with soft tissue injuries and there's pressures from um every avenue, whether it be football managers, with um, coaches, we want to know. And look, as, as long as I guess we're, um, we're using that information to not catastrophize, and that's the biggest issue with imaging, is that the average patient will see a scan. It doesn't really mean a huge amount to them, but 
generally the word degeneration, the word, you know, disbulge, the word stress response, they'll all create a, a, a big sort of catastrophe sometimes and fear. And, and often that will lead to them then not doing things um, or acting on things that might not actually be symptomatic, you know. So facet joint degeneration may not be a big issue in a majority of back pain. And we know how many patients have, um, you know, how many uh, symptom, asymptomatic patients have scan results of degeneration. You know, it's huge. It's a huge amount of people, healthy individuals, will have degenerative back, will have disc bulges. Uh, so in saying that, will we stress this patient, uh, uh, sorry, um, MRI this patient? Probably not if it's not affecting their training to a degree. Generally, the MRI will be looking at stress response or stress fracture, whether we need to rest them. Um, if they're managing okay, I, I would imagine that we don't go and investigate. If you've got no leg referral pain, there's no pins and needles, no neurological reason to actually scan them, we'd probably prefer not to. However, in the um, in the AFL system, we, we maybe get that information and use it wisely to make ensure there is no stress response. But again, there's... There's a oodles of controversy even managing stress responses with lumbar spine pain and, you know, pubic pain and pelvic pain. So that's a whole other topic there and we could talk about for hours. <laughs> um, so using your clinical judgment is the most relevant thing we can do. But scans are always helpful and I've talked around that a fair bit. So with this patient, no, I wouldn't actually scan this patient you're presenting at the moment. We'll follow on with our management here. We haven't uh, haven't gone on with some imaging and we sort of talked around some of those most common findings or our key asterisks contributing factors you might have found that you looked at. So just to maybe touch on them again, you know, you went through your, the glute and the, I'll let you touch on maybe two or three of those key points and then we'll move on to how you think you might go about correcting these. If we've got a patient that's sort of in that extension-based process, I guess we're looking subjectively, first of all, where we've identified the issues. So... If it's a training load and a wellness issue, well, they're separate issues. Physio-wise, we still have to consider and be and be factors. But you know, the, the training loads are something we've worked very closely with sports science, um, with coaches, with other people involved in that athlete, whether they be amateur or elite. Um, so that that is important to consider. Um, you know, but when we're looking at our biomechanical imbalances and our factors that we see with the patient in the room from our objective screening. I guess, you know, it's a tough one because um, understanding how to control their pelvic position would probably be one of the biggest things first and knowing how to switch their back muscles off. So with this patient, I'll almost be making sure that um, they, they, first of all, contributing factor will be, you know, locked into extension, tight psoas, uh, heavy, hard holding upper abdominal wall and erector spinae muscle tension. So understanding how to get length in your psoas, well, that's an easy one, stretching, letting go. But understanding how to let go of your abdominal and back muscles is a tough one. So the treatment treatment for that is almost, well, you know, learning how to belly breathe often, you know, something as simple as that, going through breathing, going through pelvic dissociation in both you know, non-weight-bearing positions to help them understand how then to do it in weight bearing and using visual feedback in the mirror to reposition pelvic tilting, changing the hip and foot angles with squatting so they can actually get down a little bit deeper without actually having to overextend and brace their back. Or in fact, getting rid of that excessive lordosis by actually changing 
the back squat completely, take it out of the program. There's other ways we can actually not, we can load the legs without actually bringing the back into it. So, you know, do we go for a leg press in this patient instead where the back's not going to be an excessive lumbar lordosis? Do we go for a, you know, alternate alternate bar with the with the with the squat, so you're sort of holding more forward. Um, Their ideas to address the extension, the bracing pattern that you might have with that extension stress concept. So that's that's a simple one from a you know positioning point of view. So combining stretching, combining motor control, combining um understanding how to let go. Uh, that that's one thing I would I would look at from a point of view there. Uh, if we look at um, turning on the or getting good glute activation, often we'll see your lateral hip ro- rotators and your hip abductors just not quite strong enough in some of these guys to, 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 to do the work and the rectospina or your back muscles are contributing too much to the workout. Um, so, of course, if we've got a clinical finding of a poor single leg squat because they've got an internally rotating hip or they've got your, your Trendelenburg, Trendelenburg or you've got your lateral weight shift with your trunk, Indicating combining with our weak or weak dyno work, maybe on your hip abductors and rotators. You know, there are measures, I guess, to go and remeasure later on um, from our you know, lateral hip or glute work. Um, you know, so a six-week program working on you know, your desired exercise, whether it be a combination of activation work using your mini bands, um, whether it be a combination of that and single leg strength work um, you know, in these functional running positions, uh, you know, those exercises thrown into their gym program uh, on a weekly basis to, you know, to then assist with the, the progression of those other factors you're putting into place. Um, so, yeah, that, that can be the strength side of things and then you may maybe remeasure every two weeks the dynamometry to see if it's changing. Um, you're not going to see changes straight away with that. But um, I think that's the important part of the combination is, you know, um, getting some sort of measurement accountability for, for strength as opposed to just how much weight you're lifting with your weights. Um, yeah, so I guess that's uh, there's looking at a couple of key clinical findings there. And running technique's always a tough one. Um, you know, how many people can we actually change? Talking to running coaches, you know, it's something we try and work really hard on. Uh, and people who have really obvious faults can change, but it is it is difficult. Doesn't mean it's not doable, but it is difficult to change the way someone runs and loads. But definitely, you know, increasing their lordosis. Um, you know, do they shock absorb poorly by landing on rear foot? You know, that's another aspect of clinical findings when we see with these extension pace pa- patterns. Sometimes, that are they landing too hard? Do we need to become more of a forefoot runner? Um, to offload the back a little bit more? Do we need to be softer on our feet when we're running and moving? Do we need to change our cadence of our running a little bit to um, adapt and change the stresses going through our lumbar spine? So those are those are factors with sort of clinical findings that we look at as well, uh, measuring those and then, you know, training them to, to change. Um, so I guess there's, there's a couple of, couple of sort of comments there with some of those clinical findings that we've found the objective that you'd maybe – Look at targeting. Yep. So that, yeah, that's good. That's a, so breaking down. You got the lumbar pelvic and, and looking to sort of uh, stop holding on so much. Addressing lateral uh, and rotational hip control uh, through through your range of exercises, uh, and then 
and obviously, and just on that, you, your target exercises, like I know, uh, say you mentioned mini bands, um, what are your sort of go-tos for your sort of uh, good lateral hip, hip rotation control exercise for these these type of athletes? Yeah, well, we always like to try and start the sessions off with activating the glutes and sort of that, you know, glute me, glute um, hip rotators. So your, your simple crab walks, many variations of those, your sort of lateral crab walks with bands at knees and hips, sorry, knees and feet, um, looking at, you know, 45 degree kickback, but again, with those exercises, again, really looking at their lordosis position, adjusting that so they're not overextending. You know, they're, they're the, the simple things into simple exercises can really change the way they load their muscles. So, um, you know, leaning tower work up against the uh, the wall to, to activate their glute in a more neutral lordosis. Um, you know, your calf stretch position up on your toes, getting the glute working on one side, driving the other knee up. Um, you know, your sort of box step-ups and throwing your sort of leg up hard into a uh, running-type position. So all those activation-type exercises are really, really nice to start a session off with. Um, and, you know, I like that with this sort of patient, I, I love what we call a liberty hold where you're up against the wall and you're sort of probably more so for, the, for a pole vaulter than a footy player where we're different, but where you're reaching up above your head, holding one knee up, um, you know, tucking that pelvis underneath you and really firing that glute, fatiguing that glute and even throwing in the calf, repeated calf pulses and raises to fatigue in that position. So they're actually up in that higher running position but not in a massive lordosis. So they're, they're reducing their extension stress in their lumbar spine and they're fatiguing the, the crap out of their, their glute and their, their limb. Um, so that's another, another aspect of, I'd look at is um, fatigability in the early stages. You mentioned your pole vaulter there, and uh, I, I guess um, the reason we used a, a different sort of athlete was one. I guess the movement through with these guys is a whole lot different, and they are using their upper limbs a little bit more. Um, but I guess from a rehab point of view, are we doing things much differently when we're talking bringing the upper body into it? It might be a javelin throw, it might be a, a pole vaulter, etc. Yeah, yeah. Look, well, I worked closely with Steve Hooker for quite a few years, and you know, really. Um, you know, one-on-one sort of three or four times a week we, we did work and, um, you know, and, and again, in an environment like that, you're working very close with Alex Parnoff, the coach, and it's a three-way combination with, um, you know, sports science as well that, that help get that athlete going. So, but for, for, from a, what we do differently, um, I guess, you know, overhead athlete, you need to, and they're, and they're different athletes, they're power athletes. They're after moving as quickly as you can, jumping as high as you can. So a lot different in regards to, our footy player who runs 13Ks a day, a uh, game, um, these guys start doing, <laughs> if you do 100-metre rehab, 100-metre runs with these guys for rehab times 10, um, they'll, that'll be blowing them up. That's a, <laughs> a high endurance aspect for the pole holder. So you've got to look at that side of things as well. More plyometric, more spring, more power for the athlete anyway. So that then comparing to a, you know, a footy player who, who, who combines power with, with the endurance and fatigability, but um, you know, to be able to get uh, a pole vaulter to be able to run fast and jump harder involves a lot of plyometric skills, and um, I guess range of movements were really important. So they a lot of muscle tone that these guys have, high muscle tone. To some athletes, you might think well, it means not much, but really giving them enough range of movement to be able to get their full uh, momentum and power capacity happening is important. So. Good range through your abdominal wall to be able to rotate well. Um, good range through your, your TFL, your hip flexors to get that strong hip 
hip extension, push-off power, way more hip drive and knee drive. Um, so using that position I talked about for above head position, um, really, really relevant um, and training above head a lot more than you would with an AFL player. Um, but one of the things I suppose we looked at more then was to get to get extension, we need to get as much as we can out of your thoracic spine, out of your hip, so you're then not loading your lumbar spine. So spending a lot more time getting the range through your pecs, your lats, to get that reach in. Um, then working down through your thoracic spine with your foam roll, your soft tissue techniques, um, you know, working on belly breathing to let go through your, your ribs and allow yourself to get the range through there as well. So, you know, I think those all those different aspects allow us to think, okay, more whole body. I mean, we still need to consider that with, with our AFL athlete, but probably more for someone when you're reaching high to pull your maximum power through a bowl you really need that level of um, of range through every aspect, every part of the chain. Um, so the, the upper body chain probably comes into it more with your above head athlete, but shouldn't be neglected in our in our runner or football player or soccer player either. That's for sure. But so yeah, you've got increased capacity to get more range probably with your with your volter and your um, your thrower through the whole body and that whole connect chain that slings across the anterior sort of sling. Um, and then I guess your uh, your power becomes a whole lot more important with plyometrics. So your um, and, and how many how many football players are doing rope pulls? You know, climbing up a six meter rope in uh, five seconds. Not that many. Um, we certainly do a lot more of it, but it's not as relevant for the sport. So you you know, th- there's differences in obviously the sport that of course have to come into our training regime. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's great fun working with different athletes and, and having your brain switch around into, into all these sort of um, you know, different ideas that they work into. And, and only by working with an athlete and getting other ideas, you actually come up with new, new concepts of how to, how to treat people. So I think that's the, that's the key is working really closely with the athlete and getting a feel for, okay, where do you feel like you need to move more? You know, the patient will tell you often, you know, in the rooms, oh, I feel like I need to move this. So you try that and then you go out and run. And that's I think that's the, the really fun thing about sports physio is actually trying something, testing it on the track, coming back and getting feedback almost instantly. Oh, that felt better. Now, a lot of things in research may not actually have the great science and proof behind it, but if you can change an athlete the way they move there and then, you know, that's adding to their ability to move better and therefore create more performance. You know, I think um, – Longer term, of course, we need to put it in perspective, but if you can help an athlete perform, you know, that, that extra two or three centimetres on a jump, uh, whether it be a long jump or pole vault and height, uh, that could be the difference between a, um, you know, qualify for something or a world record for something. We appreciate the support from West Coast Health and High Performance of this podcast. Chris and the team at West Coast Health and High Performance bring an elite sport environment and facilities that are accessible for the general population. Located at the brand new centre for the West Coast Eagles in Lathlane, they have plenty on offer, including expert physiotherapy care led by specialist sports physio Chris Perkins, occupational therapy and nutrition consults, advanced testings such as a DEXA, VO2 and a BioDEX for all the muscle strength testing. Uh, West Coast Health and High Performance is certainly the go-to for 
any sports physio performance requirements in Perth. Chris and the team also available via telehealth for any of our international listeners. So for more information on West Coast Health and High Performance, hit up westcoasthealth.com.au to learn more. You sort of touched a little bit on, I guess, uh, making the change there, but also uh, earlier around, you know, your manual therapy through the thoracic spine. And I know a lot of certainly clinic business owners find themselves getting a bit frustrated with some new graduates uh, coming out who are very much hands-off and, and that's that's fine within uh, within their rights. And where do you sort of sit on that? Obviously, you do use some manual therapy. Um, how much do you use it early on for this sort of person? Uh, how relevant is it? And yeah, what's, your, what's your views? Well, look, I think uh, my training over time has been combined with um, both the, you know, cognitive behavioural functional therapy that Pete certainly, you know, right in the thick of his cognitive functional therapy approach. And really, it all has to add in, all of it. I, I don't think it, it, there will ever be a time where even someone like Pete O'Sullivan wouldn't use manual therapy patients. I mean, it's a perception sometimes that he, he's not, but he, he does a great job with manual therapy at times. And I think manual therapy has its role still. You know, if we can make someone feel better by unlocking some areas, um, you know, that allows them to perform better. So it's really a combination and it really comes back down to each athlete. You know, we and, – and that's a part of the specialisation process for me is that you, you treat everyone on their merits. You know, a patient walks in the door, you look at that patient, they've all got different factors, we've all got different stresses in our lives um, and we're all built differently. So there's not – there's not one road to go down. Um, sure, we've got our, um, you know, our go-tos, our um, you know, recipe-type approaches that we modify from, but and our favourite exercises, all of us have got them. But um, I think at the end of the day, uh, you assess that patient. Some people will be floppy and loose and don't actually need a heap of manual therapy because they move really well. They need more stability and control. Some of our athletes will be rigid, bracing beasts that don't actually let go and don't move so they're compressing the crap out of their body both hips both spine you know their knees they're just compressing loading themselves all the time so we actually need to then to learn how to breathe let go and and move get them doing some yoga get them doing some salsa dancing um you know that's some of the fun stuff i loved uh with our footy boys getting them to dissociate their pelvis from their lumbar spine and try and dance and move a little bit for, for those of guys that couldn't unlock. I always use some great funny videos of some of my rigid footy players trying to actually do a salsa. Um, and you probably remember some of the lectures we did. Um, fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I think manual therapy has its role, absolutely. Um, but more and more we come up with research, we know how important just exercise approaches, decatastrophizing people, don't trying to have a reassurance that they're going to be okay and, you know, Knowledge, knowledge is key. So informing our patients on what's ahead of them, why we're doing what we're doing, so they can buy in. You know, if you've got a good, good, good reasoning for your patient to do something, they'll do it. You just need to justify to yourself and to that patient why you're doing what you're doing. And I think you can, um, you can then get a better outcome for all. Um, that, I think it's justification. If everyone's got a great uh, rationale and justification what they're doing based on good evidence with that patient. And, and, of course, using the current evidence we, we have in our literature, uh, that's the combination. And I think that's why it's all based on your clinical assessment. So um, you can come up with any plan based on a good clinical ju justification, then go for it. Um, that's your workout. And, and 
think like it's a balanced, it's a balanced approach. Yeah. Now you mentioned a little bit about the language there, and uh, I'm sure our listeners and I've read a lot of say Peter O'Sullivan and the team's work there around uh, languages. They're both um, catastrophizing languages used to patients, um, and also maybe how to reframe things. I guess, uh, in your opinion, how much of this uh, and do, how much do you guys use at West Coast and in applying that to your athletes? So, if, you, if you're imaging your athlete and you're talking through their, their back MRI, is it the same sort of thing or is it because football clubs and sporting clubs can sometimes be a bit old school in nature? They're still sort of referring to some old, um, the way we used to sort of refer and you diss this and, and that sort of thing. Where, where does that sort of sit with sporting athletes and, yeah. uh, and I guess, Peter's work? Yeah, fair call. I, I guess a one of the problems with when your athlete or your patient, whoever it might be, gets a hold of a scan result really doesn't mean much to them. It really is terminology that needs to be interpreted <laughs> and, and everyone interprets something different. So we, we know that patient, your general patient will see something that says degeneration and that clearly has to mean pain to them and disaster. So degeneration, surely that must be bad for me. <laughs> well, you know, normalizing us to say, well, yeah, I've got degeneration in my back. I don't, actually, I don't have any pain. Um, you know, so you know, using yourself as an example, using other patients as an example, going, well, it's quite normal to have degeneration. It's quite normal to have a dispolage sometimes. Um, but if you've got, you know, this might not even relate to your pain. But of course, often they're having a scan in the in the in the footy system because they've got pain. So often we'll take the the scan results, not let them um, directly look at <laughs> the full. Um, report and interpret that and in a way that that doesn't create strain and worry in their brain you know so but actually allows them to understand it and then use use a skeleton use images that you'll see on you know good photos um and put it in context so yeah look i think um it's all about knowledge and informing these patients in a layman's terminology um, and I think that's where language has become a bit too heavy sometimes if we're not explaining it at that level, at that really simple level. We all like keep it simple is the approach, but make make have it make sense to the person. So if we're talking about this extension pattern before, you know, they need to know that, okay, what does extension mean? Well, it's an arching. Um, what is bracing? What is te- compression loading? Explain to them with an example of a clenched fist. You know, that's compression. You hold your fist all day and tighten it. Well, it's going to hurt your wrist, isn't it? You know, so that's what you're doing with your back. You know, that's an example of, you know, um, we always use that example all the time. You know, if I'm straining my finger back repetitively over time, that's creating strain. Does that mean I've got, does that mean I've got degeneration in there? Is it, if it hurts? No, it's sensitised. So you know, explaining that, you know, you may, the scan results don't always relate to pain, but also you don't have to have scan results to have pain. <laughs> because you can have sensitive tissue without shitty scan results. So, and that becomes more confusing. So, it's actually explaining the sensitivity of body tissue and those things. And, and as we know as well, sensitivity in our nervous system from stress, from worry, from, you know, all the factors that we have in elite athletes, you know, am I getting a game? You know, am I, you know, you know, we get a contract next year. All those things do create worry and sensitive our nervous system. So they always have to be considered as a part of the whole, you know, process. So we'll go back to our athlete and I guess we sort of mentioned training loads before. Um, 
But this guy was coming off the back of a, a solid block of training. He's come to see you. He's quite sore. He, he's probably he's probably a bit stressed about it as well. A uh, number of factors that are coming in. Are you at that point saying, "All right, that's it. Let's let's have a rest. We're going to stop running. Uh, we'll pull you out a couple of weeks and go from there." Or are we modifying that and finding a, a nice easy balance? Yeah. Well, I mean, probably you've just heard my approach here with a balance approach. I'm never one personally for stopping activity and exercise it's always if we can't do something let's find what you can do deconditioning of an athlete is the worst thing we can do and you know i see that so often with post-op patients that you know we cringe when they're told to do nothing for six weeks you know this is an example i suppose that so doing nothing just completely deconditions an athlete like and we none of us will do that at, at an elite sport you'll always give them something to do even for their brain, their brain will go crazy if an athlete is used to doing something and can't. So, so for this extension-based patient, if, if they're getting to a point where they can't run and we've tried the anti-inflammatory, we've tried dec- decreasing the sensitivity of the nervous system and the inflammatory process that might be going on and we've unloaded them a little bit and changed their technique and they're still getting pain, well, then, you know, you do need to clear stress fracture, stress response in, in, in your lumbar spine if they're a younger 21, 22-year-old athlete. But at the end of the day also, um, if you're not getting sharp, night pain, catching, uh, and it's not you're not thinking stress fracture, then we just modify their running, change their trailer, deload them a little bit, you know, and, and then build them again. You know, tolerate A level, they'll build up. Get the extra cardio in other positions that aren't extending them like a bike. Um, like a rowing, um, and top them up with those things, and then and then build again. So yeah, it, it definitely modify training load first. Have a management plan set in place. You know, I'm always one for sometimes as well. Change the weights program completely with a patient like this. Get them out of extended loaded positions. Actually, completely get them out of that, and have functional running as their as their key issue. But if you found in your assessment they're they're as weak as water in their leg strength. And all they're doing is compressing their lumbar spine because they're running. Then, then you might have the, that concept of going, okay, well, look, you really do need way more leg strength. That's when you take a block of time off running for maybe two weeks to reduce a bit of bone stress or strain in the lumbar spine, build leg strength for at least a couple of weeks to start with, and then introduce running again. So it's, it's again finding out where the limitations are, focus on that main limitation, build from there. But yeah, never. Never one to not let an athlete do anything and just uh, and rest. Uh, it's a, I think it's, it's a nightmare for um, for most of them. Is there any other sort of? Do you often find that there's a couple of exercises that you just really struggle to sort of get this athlete back to? And is there every time where you're like, oh, we might just not do that exercise? For instance, like we mentioned the back squats or uh, overhead shoulder pressing, or is that in your mind that's part of the rehab and that's where the athlete should be able to get to, and for you to have confidence that you know they're at the level. Yeah, it's it's a funny one. I mean, I had a patient in today who I've tried. They sort of sit in a lot of lumbar flexion. They're quite overextended their lumbar thoracic spine. I'm trying to get in to do a simple anterior isolated pelvic tilt to get a bit of get a bit of lordosis in his lower lumbar. I had no idea. I tried three or four different positions, and like it was his first session with me. But um, you know, we pretty much gave up on that there and then. Gave him some other things to work on. I said, we'll come back to that. So yeah, definitely. Um, some of the some of the guys in the gym who just cannot physically get into a position to let go, um, we just almost change change the exercise. They get frustrated. So 
you know, for this patient, uh, you know, rather than go into a squat, if they cannot adjust their lordosis position, you know, do sort of full on, go into a full on deadlift with a, with a trap bar or a diamond bar instead. So we're not actually, um, you know, not actually trying to get to a point where they're, you know, straining their brain. They just can't get this control issue and it's moved to a different position. No, definitely I'll, I won't frustrate the athlete, but, you know, there's some things where you persist, you persist for a while and, and it will change. Um, but I, I think overall that they, they move like that because that's the easiest way to move. Um, strength gains are probably sometimes a bit easier to change than, um, you know, mechanics. Um, people are built the way they're built and they actually move where they move. So if we can improve on the strength without stressing that tissue in an extended position, then, you know, that, that's what we try and do. Um, but we can improve on range of movement. You know, we've got no hip flexor length. Definitely we have ability to improve our range for our hips. Um, but often I like to just completely change the strength program so we're actually moving out of those um, positions that do that do stress the back. Um, but, you, you know, you have to be able to run. So if you can't move well in running, you know, you need to understand how to, how to, how to get better at, at that particular task. Tough one, but I would definitely attempt – you back away if it's getting frustrating for all of you. <laughs> it's no fun for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, excellent. Um, all right, Tex. Now, is there uh, anything, I guess, from that from a case study there that we haven't touched on that we should, that uh, I haven't asked you about, that you want to sort of just touch on at all and spring to mind? Yeah, look, I guess um, you know, probably talked about that letting go concept. Um, you know, prolonged sitting is something we don't often look at with our athletes. You know, we've got sort of people who are in meetings for long periods of time, We've got people who are sitting in extension and we forget about that sometimes. So, um, you know, if I've got an extended lumbar spine but I'm actually sitting in extension all the time, it, don't forget that because we sit a lot. We sit a lot during the day, all right? So if, if prolonged sitting is an issue and they're holding a lordosis and holding muscle tension, come, come back to that, you know, adjust the way they sit. Go and look at the car position. Go and figure out what else they're doing during the day to look at. Um you know, getting the patient to, I guess, um, have their opportunity to ask questions and do you understand. Often we're too quick to dictate and tell people what to do. Um, so give them an opportunity to, you know, ask a question. Do you understand what we've just gone through? One of the biggest things, I guess, with athletes as well is going, you know, can you tell me what you're going to tell your partner um, what your problem is here and what you, you need to do? And often you'll get a patient to say that back to you and they'll just completely be off track and then all of a sudden you start questioning yourself as to what I've taught this patient. So it's a great challenge for yourself to ask your patient, okay, you tell me what, what's going on from what we've learned here today. And if your footy player or your athlete patient cannot, cannot tell you accurately what you're trying to get across to them, well, you need to, re, you know, you need to rejig that because I think that's the biggest test sometimes that we don't do. Um, challenge everyone to have a crack at that and, um, you know, re- get the patient, get the athlete to say back to you what, what's going on with them and what their plan is because often it doesn't happen or we've got it wrong. That's a good one. That's a good one. I heard that one a while ago and, uh, you know, you start doing it and then you stop doing it. So it's a nice one just a bit of a reminder to get back to, yeah, get back yeah, to yeah. doing that one and improve the way I, I guess we can uh, relate and yeah. communicate to the, to the patient. And particularly in a sports area, there's so many different people. You know in a footy club, someone's got an injury and you've got 10 people that talk to them about the injury 
So the poor players, they want to be consistent about what's going wrong with them so they can get the same message across. <laughs> so, you know, one person gets a message and it's not quite the same answer someone else could give you, you got conflicting information. So if that athlete has a real clear understanding of what's going on, at least everything's consistent because sometimes the Chinese whispers, uh, whether it be footy club or whether it be, you know, that patient um, with a doctor versus a physio, whether it's a surgeon, they're all getting different information. So it becomes a little bit uh, a nightmare of communication and uh, misinformation if, if, they don't, if they're not clear what's going on themselves. So, yeah, I, I guess roundabout way, I guess there, you know, with that pat- pattern we're dealing with, it applies to every, every patient really, but with the pattern we're dealing with here, you know, we're trying to make that patient understand they need to let go, they need to build up the leg strength, there's some flexibility work required, um, and then how to learn how to belly breathe, um, and then we need to go. Okay, well, how are we going to alter the train load? How are we going to work together with the strength conditioning guys? You know, all that communication is so important amongst the different groups that we have, both in the footy clubs that man you deal with, and also um, the general patient who sees a lot of different professionals within their management plan. So everyone's on the same page, makes the outcome a lot better. Spot on. Now, we'll, um, mate, that's perfect. Um, perfect chat and really interesting stuff coming from you. And I guess we'll have to sort of wrap it up there. We sort of try to keep it to 60 minutes or less. But uh, now you're in Perth and that's known to be uh, the most isolated city in the world and, and you Perth people love to tell people that. Uh, so if there's uh, our listeners from uh, wider Australia or overseas and they want to get in touch with you, whether it's uh, for a consult or just getting in touch in general, how do they go about doing that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, check out our website at West Coast Health and High Performance. Um, love to speak to anyone that wants, some, um, wants to chat or info on any of the stuff we're doing. At, just at Chris P um, at westcoasthealth.com.au. I'm not, not on the Twitter because I got hacked up quite a while ago with that. But um, I'm on the LinkedIn and the Facebook and the uh, Instagram, but uh, I've kept back away from Twitter because of my <laughs> hacked account. <laughs> but, yeah, no, and, yeah, hit us up anywhere if, if you want to chat about things. Um, love to chat about patients in particular. And, you know, the Zoom consults we do, a lot of stuff can be done on Zoom as a conversation at times and um, chewing the fat about a patient that might be a bit complex you want to discuss uh, any factors that might be relevant, um, happy to do that on Zoom these days. They've become all, we've all become Zoom experts um, with the corona COVID virus that we've got amongst us. No, that's perfect. It's a good opportunity, I'm sure, to like use uh, like in this day and age now with Zoom. It's a great opportunity to get in touch with experts like yourself and, and sort of just cross-reference some information and your management. So uh, I think that's a perfect thing to do for anyone out there. Uh, and a little bit of a reminder about uh, your course, of course, that's coming up, although it's sold out. Um, but guys, keep a lookout for some of the Perth courses these boys will be doing. Uh, it's always good learning from Chris, so I'd highly recommend it. Uh, mate, but uh, thanks again. Very much appreciate your time. Super busy doing the clinic, got the kids, uh, the footy club. So appreciate you coming on board, mate. And um, yeah, we will um, continue to be in touch. And, and anyone, reach out to Chris if you uh, need any further information. Mm-hmm.